0: Um, let's talk about you, the ID10T community events at ID10T.com for your thing on the community corkboard, like Nate, who writes wanted to reach out and spread the word about the Great Cycle Challenge. I'm riding this month to fight kids' cancer. My goal is to pedal 300 miles throughout the month and raise over $1,500, my total from last year. Our goal is to fund life-saving research, develop safer and more effective treatments, and find cures for all childhood cancers. Please support me by making a donation today at um, the link that he sent is a bit.ly link. It's bit.ly slash ridewithnate, N-A-T-E through October 31st. All funds raised will support Children's Cancer Research Fund to continue their work to develop innovative treatments and find a cure for childhood cancer. That is fantastic, Nate. Thank you so much for sharing and best of luck with the Great Cycle Challenge uh, through the month of October. And to anyone else who wants to share your thing, events at ID10T.com to get your thing on the corkboard like Nate. Um, This episode is Brian Volkweis, who is an amazing producer, super nice guy, mega nerd of the best uh, order. Um, Brian has produced (laughs) so many stand-up comedy specials for so many comedians that you know and love. And also, he is responsible for phenomenal series, two on Netflix, one being the um, The Toys That Made Us, and then The Movies That Made Us, which I highly recommend. And particularly, The Movies That Made Us has some incredible episodes about uh, Home Alone and Die Hard and uh, Ghostbusters, which I learned stuff watching that that I didn't know before, but they're just masterfully done, and I highly recommend them. And his current series, which I also highly recommend, is Behind the Attraction on Disney+. Plus. Um, whether you're a hardcore Disney nerd, like uh, myself and my wife, or even just a casual Disney liker, um, it is well worth watching. You get these incredible stories um, literally behind each attraction. And, uh, you know, just talking to Imagineers and the history and the evolution and so much great backstory. I mean, I just cannot recommend them enough. And they are uh, just beautifully narrated by Paget Brewster, who does such a phenomenal job um, narrating uh, each of these episodes. And again, like I watch these thinking, oh, I pretty much know the stories. You know, I'm the guy who will watch the deep dives on YouTube about how rides work and stuff like that. And I learned stuff here that I didn't know before. And even talking to Brian, uh, I learned stuff from him that I didn't know before. So um, this is just a stellar episode. And we talked for like an hour and a half and I obviously could have talked for a lot longer, but you know, really appreciate Brian taking the time just as a lover and supporter of comedy and just a a creator of um, just everything that he's into and just giving us these down the rabbit hole deep dives and such an inspiration too, just in terms of like, you know, follow the things that, that, uh, that you love. And that's what he does. And he opens it up in a way to makes it accessible to other fans. And again, even if you're not like a hardcore fan, it's still really enjoyable. So uh, thanks again to Brian for all the great content and for this wonderful chat of the ID10T podcast number 1135 with Brian Volkweiss as we roll the thing. Initiating ID10T protocol. Hello! How are you? I am well. How are you?
1: This is very surreal for me, uh, but good. Very good. <laughs> Why,
0: that you're doing uh, a podcast? What's that? What, what's surreal, that you're doing a podcast? Uh, doing your podcast. Oh, come on, man. You, 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 you've been making some real choice content. Uh... You're, you're, you're very
1: kind, but I'll tell you what it is. I call it the Dennis Miller, Kevin Hart variable. Heaven Hart, one of the biggest stars alive. Talk to him, you know, every now and then, whatever. We work together every now and then, whatever. I can hang out with him like anybody. Dennis Miller, that's who I was looking at when I was eight years old watching SNL. I, I, I get tongue tied around him.
0: So you know, that's, that's how I would. I I find that phenomenon with I've I've had it a few times. I've had it more than a few times with people that and it's the same exact thing. It's when you were watching people while you were growing up, it burrows so deeply into your soul that you can't. It just awakens some kind of like, (sighs) I mean, like I, I I've I've worked with Muppets before and I still can't get over that. Like even just. When 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 they go when you know the 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 Muppeteers like uh, like bring them to life because the puppets will look at your eyes they look you in the eyes and it's just like (gasps) like it just it goes from being this inanimate object to this whole other thing that is really overwhelming um, but in a good way.
1: But by the way, apropos what's behind you? Oh yeah. So June twenty fifth, nineteen ninety eight. I drive across the country. I get to my apartment in North Hollywood, I put all my stuff out of the trunk into my apartment, get back in my
0: car, and guess where I drove? Meltdown Comics. Meltdown Comics. That's what's behind me. I'm in the I'm in the I guess it's still technically the podcast studio, although it has not seen a guest other than myself since uh, February of 2020. But um, yeah, this is I was able to get one of the uh, aliens from the top of Meltdown and uh, and I had all the neon fixed. So it does work. It just buzzes very loudly. So that's why I don't that's why I don't keep it on uh, when we're recording. But you have a lot of great stuff in your background, too. I see an enormous amount of Star Trek collectibles. I see a bunch of different enterprises yep. back there. Uh, Star
1: Wars is over there.
0: Oh, yeah. You got to yeah. keep those separate. Come on, man. <laughs>
1: That's right. No overlap. No overlap. But yeah, it's it's 360. I always like to tell people that some are most most are horrified. Some are some are impressed. So I'm, I'm
0: hoping you're one of the more impressed people. Oh, I'm, I'm I'm very impressed. I don't have um, all, all the movie props and stuff that I would show you are not uh, in this studio. Otherwise, I would. We'd, we'd play show and tell, and I'd show you like all the fun movie props, but uh, I just want You wanna... would win. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. That is a very yeah, detailed collection win. in the back there, but I, I want to, just for people who are listening, I just want to clue them in. You, you've been making some really great stuff. Well, first of all, let's just talk about the fact that you've produced comedy specials for almost everybody. <laughs> I mean, I think you must have like 50 credits and you just go through and you're like, holy shit. Like it's, it is an incredibly extensive and impressive list of comedy specials that you've executive produced. And um, most recently behind the attraction, which I'm currently watching on Disney Plus, And also I think the movies that made us, which I know was an offshoot of the toys that made us is like one of the best docu series. I mean, I, there was shit. I thought I knew a lot about Ghostbusters and there was shit in that special that I have retold so many times. Most importantly, the how the fuck did they make that movie from start to finish in 11 months that that those, those specials were so informative and just, and it's funny because we live in an era where you can learn about anything on the internet. And yet there was shit in there that I had no idea about. So you did a beautiful job of uh, giving us some really nice uh, nostalgia feels. Thank you, and uh, you're way too kind. No, I mean it. First of all, did it start with it started with toys first, right? Yes. And yeah. were we all planning on? Did the Netflix come back and go, okay? Well, if you're going to do another round of these, how would you do them? Or how did how did that come to be? I I know this won't surprise
1: you because. You, you've been in this business as long as me, but it, it's the most cliched Hollywood story. It took seven years to sell Toys That Made Us. The only reason it sold was like lucky break, lucky break, lucky break. There was a guy at Netflix named Devin. I'm not supposed to use last names. Uh, Devin was in charge of stand up comedy acquisitions. So two things happened. One, he was transferred into what would become the unscripted department at Netflix. Okay. Fun fact, Toys That Made Us, we believe is the, at the l- most, third original unscripted green light at Netflix. It may have been the second. So it's one of the earliest unscripted green lights. Okay. So that's the first thing. A guy I knew very well, got transferred to Unscripted. The other lucky break was he had been to my house and we had become friends. So he had seen my toy collection. The reason why that's important is that I had so much trouble selling shows unless it was about stand-up comedy. Because So whenever I used to try and pitch toys that made us, people would always be like, eh, why is the stand-up guy pitching toys? <laughs> like you're so only allowed like,
0: to do one thing.
1: Well, you know this town. Yeah yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so that's, so it was very lucky. Not only was he transferred, but he knew I was a audience. Please see, I'm doing air quotes. Air quotes. Expert, air quotes. Expert in toys. So he greenlit it. We made it. We didn't know how it did or not. And then about four months later, they asked me to come in to talk about the future and what I wanted to do. We spent conservatively. 150 hours making to this day one of my favorite sales tapes of all time for the games that made us. It was mm-hmm. all video games and Scrabble and Monopoly, whatever. I mean, it, 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 it has made people tear up the tape. That's how much I love it. We spent 40 minutes <laughs> making a poster and all the poster was was the cliched uh, poster from Die Hard of Bruce Willis with his face photoshopped with Frank Sinatra's head. And that was it. I mean, it was literally it. I go in and meet with Brandon and Nat, and um, they love the tape, they love the tape, and then they're like, hey, what's in the the case? And I take out the poster, I show them the poster, they're like, why is Frank Sinatra on John McClane's face? I told him that Die Hard is actually a sequel to a Sinatra movie. And he was pay or play for a sequel. And then a week later, nobody mentioned games that made us and they greenlit movies that made us.
0: But I I always find that to be such an interesting um, constant that you can spend so much time. But but again, maybe if you hadn't spent all that time on the one thing, maybe the other thing, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is why it's always the kind of like, oh, no, that idea over there, I don't know, that's just something. And then oftentimes that becomes the thing. Is it because it's just so... Um, is it more accessible because you're... It's it's just like an off-the-top-of-the-head thing, so that makes it more accessible to people? Like, what is it that you could get so granular with one thing? And by the way, I'm shocked that the games that made us... The video game industry is billions of, you know, like, this is a... And a very and an impactful industry, you would think that they would go like, well, of course, we're going to make the games that made us. But no, they made the movies.
1: If you ever want to see what, in my opinion, is the greatest example of this phenomenon, and it's hard to find. And if I had to guess, Apple has tried to make it hard to find. Watch the Mac world, where Steve Jobs introduces the iPod. It's Like 58 minutes long, he spends 56 and a half minutes talking about a new Apple printer, a new Apple camera, and I I swear to God, like a word processor. And he spends about 80 seconds talking about the iPod.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, they, you know, there were other MP3 players at the time. So they probably, (laughs) I mean, who knows, who knows if it was part of the master plan of like, Oh, we'll just throw this. Like maybe that was some psych psychological thing so that people would go, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. I want to hear more about that. Like, who knows? Or maybe it was a happy accident. I don't understand what this phenomenon is. I wonder if it has a name and some type of a categorization in terms of like the psychology or the human psyche. I mean, do you, you, you think there's a point to when you're pitching stuff, come up with two things and then have one thing be very detailed and the second thing just be like, ah, it's like, uh, you know, it's uh, a cross between uh, Sleepless in Seattle and uh, the, and Dragon Slayer, <laughs> you know? <laughs> whoa, whoa, what's that? What is that? Oh, it's, it's just not a big deal, you know? Yeah, it sleeps in Seattle and some dragons, not a big deal. Whoa, 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 that's the one we're going to do. It, it happens all the time. I mean, all, all the time where the
1: throwaway thing because I mean, Die Hard was a throwaway movie like that. If you saw the episode, the big movie was that was filming at the same time was Midnight Run, which, again, right, one right. of the greatest comedies ever made. I'm pretty sure there's not been a Midnight Run two, three, four, five.
0: But Die Hard was we're like we're a fucking phenomenon and Die Hard made Bruce Willis. A star like he was yeah. in he was in other movies like Breaking Out of um, Nine and a Half Weeks. No, no, he was in no he that was Mickey Rourke. He was in wait uh, no no no.
1: What's the one with him? You're right. It's the same, but it's very similar artwork. It's him. I think
0: with Kim Basinger. Um, Blind the Red... Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and which was a comedy that John Larquette was in. I don't know why that's still in my memory banks, but it is. And he was breaking off a of moonlighting. And he was he was going to be this big star. I think Blind Date did just okay, but um, but it was uh, but then Die Hard was just this phenomenon. Uh, and again, you're right, this kind of total aside thing. But I, I do like to talk to other people who pitch shows and producers, and you know, you have a really great track record because I think a lot of people realize. I think a lot of people would understand who don't work in the business, like oh, actors audition for things. And that's, you know, I mean, you know, they're not they're not lugging concrete around, but but I can I'm sure most people think it's a grueling process, but it really pales in comparison to like show pitching where you have to build this kind of three. You have to build something as though it almost kind of exists. And when you're auditioning, you might spend a night or a couple of days working on a handful of pages of sides to memorize and then you forget about it because it's in your short term memory. But you have to live and breathe the show that you're pitching. It can take months, sometimes years, and at the very end of it, it could yield nothing.
1: <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, obviously, I agree with you. the The way I look at it psychologically is, I just picture. You remember the Lincoln Logs? Not Lincoln Logs, Tinker Toys. Of you course. remember Tinker Toys? Yeah. They had there was the bars, but they had these kind of circular shaped, flat pieces that were like the spokes that connected into the bars you know that's how you build they were like the knuckles or whatever you want to call them so the way I psychologically deal with what you just said I imagine that shape from the tinker toys and around the edge of the circle is all keyholes and the show I'm pitching is a key and I imagine that locks the the keyholes are spinning so when I'm coming out trying to sell a show, that's what it's like. I don't know if the timing of my key is going to sync up with the spinning
0: of that of the keyholes. No. And, and that's it's how great, I deal with it. It's crazy because a lot of times when you're pitching. You don't know what it is that the particular studio or network or platform needs. You don't know what. They're looking for you. Don't know what their mandates are; those change wildly. You could make, you could start to make something, and it's like, oh, they got a new executive, so they're just getting rid of all this stuff that was sold before them. So now they're coming. It's like all these dumb reasons that a show doesn't happen or get made. Um, so it's it, it, it to, to to go down this path is is not for the faint of heart. Is w- was that always your initial plan? Kind of going back. I mean, the
1: the initial plan was, I mean, to build a studio and to do that, you have to sell shows. So, yes, I can say I can truthfully say that was always part of the plan. But as with everything in my career, it was there was a lot of randomness and wackiness and curveballs and disappointment and whatnot. And you just got to keep getting up and and trying to sell and build and, and make Everything we did in the stand-up comedy space that you talked about earlier, I mean, that was out of necessity. Nobody would hire us to make stand-up specials. I mean, oh, that's wow. the only reason we did it. We had no, I had no choice.
0: And then you start doing it and then people are like, oh, oh. And then you become the go-to person for it, you know? And But you had to forge that path. And I'm so fascinated by comedy specials because by and large they they really do. And I have this conversation with my manager all the time. He's like, you know, you sort of think about different ways. And I'm sure you know, Alex, because he also has Gaffigan and you've done a couple of Gaffigan specials too. Um, and Alex just what, adores what you. One of my favorite
1: people in the business. You yeah, have, you just, truly
0: have one of the best managers. That he's the best. He's the best. And he just says the best things about you as well. And we always sort of talk about like, well, you know, how do you break the mold of the standup special? I don't know. I mean, it really kind of works. Uh, but then again, like, you know, someone like Bo Burnham comes along and then does this whole other thing, which is so like on another level, but but the idea of stage, audience, you know, an hour, a special, it, do, you, do you feel like we're still, there's still uh, gas in that? Or do you feel like it's gonna need to evolve?
1: I, so I could take the easy way out and I know I'm speaking to an artist and I, 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 cringe thinking what I'm about to say sounds like to an artist. So don't, don't hang up on me. I will don't not hang get up it, whatever on it is. Me. So do I think there's still enough gas in the stand up tank? Uh, absolutely. I mean, all of our data and we have tons of data says there is at least a two to three year continual ramp up of Hundreds of percentages per year of growth because we distribute stand up as well, of so course. Our stand, our distribution data for 2021 I mean, we're three or four times what we were doing in 2020. 2020 helped, I hate saying the word helped in this context, but helped by COVID was like 800% off, sure, because people were home watching more so TV. That, I, I could leave it there and everything would be fine, but I'm gonna give you my honest answer because you asked me a direct question. This is what I always think to myself when I hear people say, oh, we wanna find a new way to do stand-up specials. In my, and by the way, Bo Burnham is the, is the exception to the rule. Right. Everything Bo does is genius. And whenever I hear, oh, we gotta find a new way to do it, in my head, I say to myself, do you think there's people at Ford trying to figure out how to have a car with five wheels? <laughs> like, I know it's been 130 years of cars having four wheels. That doesn't mean the people driving on the road want five wheels. So what I always back into is imagine Johnny Q Public and Jane Q Public gotten home after a rough day at work. They want to. They could watch a trillion things. They could watch dragons burning down cities. They could watch spaceships. going Dragons in feet. Seattle.
0: The Sleepless in Seattle. Dragon Slayer mashup is what that, that could too. That, yeah. We got a green light that. Yeah.
1: Um, but if they choose to watch stand up, give them stand up. They don't want to sit there and be like, eh, when did the jokes start? Like, right. There, there's a, a special that came out two years ago very high-end artist, very high-end director, and they tried to do something different. If you look at the comments online, 90% of the comments online were, how come you can see the crew in the background while the artist is talking, hanging out and not paying attention
0: to the artist?" So there are certain things especially with expectations and yeah I mean you're right Bo is the exception to all the rules he is a just unbelievable genius and uh you know I, I that's certainly I I I have ideas for like what I think my next special would be but it's just not that far off the map from the the very traditional like stage, audience, you know, then it's just like, how do you skin it? What kind of theater are you in? How big is the space and everything? Right. But my concern is, and I guess this is a concern that people have had since my generation started watching MTV, which, you know, I remember when MTV started and everyone's like, ah, everyone's attention spans are too short. And then, you know, and then the the last couple generations were like, you know, hold my beer. We're going to show you short attention spans, you know, we're doing content in 15 seconds, you know, or less. And so, is there data to suggest that the traditional hour special, which to me, an hour just has a really nice arc to it. You know, 50 minutes roughly to an hour, 45 to an hour, has a nice arc. You can really build a story within there. You can kind of do callbacks, go back to things. There's a real nice sine wave to it. Um, Anything shorter feels to me like it's just like a guest set. However, our, our, our audience viewing habits um, supporting this idea that people will sit and watch something for 50 minutes to an hour?
1: The, the data that we have syncs up with some of the biggest companies that make stand-up specials. And that 50 to 58 minutes is the golden zone. Like that's that's what people want. If they're tuning in, that's what they want. And you can see it. I mean, many companies experimented with half hour specials, 10-minute specials, 15-minute specials, they usually stop making them after a season
0: or two. And you I I imagine we're I imagine we're you're you're are you in your 40s? I'm 45. Okay, so you probably remember the stand-up boom of the 80s where or maybe you might be like just a couple I don't. years too young. Okay. Yeah, I so do. I read all about it.
1: I know all about it, but I have no personal memory of it.
0: So, there was just an explosion of stand-up between like 76 or so to like 92. And but, it was this sure. golden age of, of of stand-up and people were going to comedy clubs and people were watching stand-up on television and and almost every channel had you know, either st- hour-long stand-up specials like Cinemax Comedy Experiment, you know, um, HBO One Night Stand, uh, but then there were also a series of short set shows, like Evening at the Improv, or Caroline's Comedy Hour, or Kamikaze, or like, I think it was the MTV show, and so there were all of these different, um, then you'd have like five or six comics on doing, you know, seven minutes each, um, so there was an explosion of of short form comedy back then but then it all kind of died off trends changed attitudes changed there was a, the economy changed people like a lot of comedy clubs closed it really was kind of a bubble bo- a bubble a moment obviously stand up's not ever going to go away you know at all because people like comedy but um, but I always I I always do wonder like oh, I really hope people still want to sit and experience the hour special because There just isn't really any other thing that's analogous to it, you know, just like a person doing jokes for 58 minutes, you know, so that that actually pleases me to hear that.
1: No, it's everything we have seen. I mean, listen, I mean, a significant percentage of our business is dependent on making the right decisions specifically about this topic. If our data suggested this is not what the population of our planet wanted, we would stop doing it. So would Netflix,
0: so would HBO. So Netflix kind of went through this period where they, and the same thing happened at Comedy Central early on. There were only a couple specials. And like Gaffigan is a great example of someone who like right guy right time right platform you know he was probably in the early earliest 2000s like maybe around 2000 I feel like I may have I think maybe we were at the Aspen Comedy Festival that we were at the same Aspen Comedy Festival one year and you know we did the Hot Pockets joke and I think he might have been like a new face or a newer face and then um but he was very, he was a very meticulous tourer. He still has the same email list he's had since the early 2000s. He's great, you know, just brilliant, great, you know. Um, and then he does, might have been, I want to say Beyond the Pale. So he I think it was maybe Beyond the Pale or whichever one was like his first big hour-long special at Comedy Central. And there were not a lot of those in existence. And people were watching Comedy Central for comedy. And he does it. And it airs a lot because they don't have a lot of hour-long specials to air. And it fucking just blow, deservedly so blows him up in a very short period of time. Yep. And he goes from, you know, being a, a a fine, respectable club act to like a theater act. Like he really elevated. And yep. of course, he works hard and he continues to build that. And, you know, he deserves all the success he has. And uh, But those times are not, like, it's just different now because there's not one... You know, not everyone watches the same thing. We can get our algorithmic niche needs met. So they're, you know, like the era of the super comics are not as, it feels like it's a little bit different now, especially when you factor in the internet and YouTube comedy and TikTok comedy and Instagram comedy and all that. But do you think was, do, 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 you know, when Netflix kind of started doing all of these hour long specials, it sort of started to seem like, oh, does anyone else even really do specials? I know HBO does a few, Amazon does some. I'm not sure if Comedy Central's doing any at the moment, but they might be. But like, where is the trend going for like, what platforms do you see in the future for specials?
1: Well, it's funny. I, I've, I've had a front row seat to all of this. You know, our deal with, ne- our first deal with Netflix was 2009. Mm-hmm. So, oh, wow. it's, it's literally been over 10 years. And, you know, one of the things we do is uh, we frequently produce specials for comedians first special. Mm-hmm. So we did Ali Wong's first special, Eliza Schlesinger, Tom Segura, Tiffany Haddish. So I've seen people that barely could sell 40 tickets Six months later, selling four to 8,000 I know, it's so great. It's crazy. So I, I don't think it's slowing down anytime soon. I think the story you told about Gaffigan is completely accurate, but I would say the only real difference between when Gaffigan did it and say Ali Wong or Tom Segura is basically the volume has increased. That's one of the major things that Netflix did was they increased the volume of standup being made, but it, they were helped and this is my own personal opinion. I could be completely wrong. They were helped by YouTube and social media. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what I mean by that before social media and before YouTube. And I always go back to who I was in high school. You know, my cafeteria could hold like a thousand people. Uh, The most anybody in that room ever was talking about stand up comedy was probably two people. And that again, (laughs) that's 1990 to 1994. So and it would usually
0: be me and one other person. Yeah, I, w- I was that person, too, who was trying to talk to other kids in high school about stand-up. And everyone was like, what are you talking about? What?
1: Eddie Murphy tells jokes. Like, <laughs> I remember having that conversation with people. They didn't even know he was a stand-up. So here's the difference, though. Back then, if I said to my buddies, hey, you got to check out Jane Doe. She's awesome. And they'll be like, well, when can I see Jane Doe? Right. And right. I never heard of Jane Doe. I'm not giving an hour of my weekend to somebody. I don't know who she is. Now I'll watch Jane Doe. I'll take a five minute clip of hers. I'll put it on Facebook. And now 800 people who trust my opinion because we're friends, they'll be like, oh, I like these five minutes. I'll watch another five minutes. Oh, that was another great five minutes. Oh, she has two specials on Netflix. Great. And then that's the difference. The the entry point is easier because now you're asking people for five minutes of their time to gain the trust before they watch the full
0: hour. I'm always um, confused or trying to understand, and this might sound like a stupid statement on the surface, but I'll explain, the impact of social media on comedy. I understand because oftentimes I'll think about social media as it affects ticket sales. And I'm not sure that social media necessarily guarantees that someone's going to like buy a ticket. You know, I always say, put on pants, put on shoes, get in their car, go somewhere. They'll sit and pass something around. So I do believe that social media is helpful for a general awareness. Yes. But not, but it doesn't, but I think a lot, but early on, as someone who was on social media from the earliest days... Thinking like, oh, if you have X amount of followers, even if 1% of those people show, and it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way, especially because, you know, like uh, uh, whatever you post is sort of like painting something on the side of a car and driving it around a city. If someone's standing on the right corner at the right time, then they might see it, you know, especially now the way algorithms work that even kind of direct the flow of traffic even more precisely anything that feels even slightly too promotey, you know, it just, it just gets the hammer. But um, so I do have this kind of back and forth of like, can you, you know, do you, do you, do you have to be so active on social media that it's like a job or can you do it a little bit? Does it not affect your ticket sales? Does it affect your ticket sales? How do you see it fitting in to the stand-up comedy business and comedians in particular?
1: I mean, I would say I think you said it better than I will. But I I mean, I agree with you completely. Social media is a tool that supports the main purpose of an endeavor. So if you make a phenomenal Wonder Woman movie, the social media gets it out there. Mm -hmm. And then people see it. And then the thing that existed a thousand years ago is still the most important thing today. Word of mouth. Right. If you make a sequel to Wonder Woman that, let's say, is, I don't know, an F, maybe an F minus coming off of an A plus. All the social media in the world will not help Wonder Woman 1984. So it it really is about the product and it's about the it's about the fans and it's about what you said about the one percent. That's entirely right. So if you have a good special. And you're as a comic, you're getting heat like that's I mean, that's what matters. You can do the best social media in the world if you don't have good material. It's not going to matter at all. I'll give you a great example from today. Are you do you follow Hasbro Pulse? No. Do you know what it is? No. Hasbro Pulse. It's kind of weird. I mean, it's brilliant, but it's also weird that a 30 billion dollar a year company is doing this. But. Hasbro has this thing called Hasbro Pulse, which is it's their crowdsourcing. And I think it's basically like when they have you seen the barge It was like the bar. It came out like two years ago. They made Java's barge. It was like 500 bucks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was the first thing to come out of Hasbro Pulse. And it's crowdsourced. They're like, hey, if we get 10,000 people to pay 500 bucks,
0: we'll make this for you. Oh Again, my God! It's like their own insular Kickstarter. It's exactly what it so is. So they're basically—it's just basically like a pre-sale gag.
1: I mean, it's well, I—I I don't even know if it's a pre-sale gag. I, I truly think they thought they could have lost a trillion dollars. I mean, the barge is, I think, five feet long. So I think they were like, "We want to make this, but it could bankrupt the company. So right. let's let's see if we can find something in the middle." But it worked. So. This morning, I have never bought anything on Hasbro Pulse. This morning, they showed a Nerf gun that looks exactly like the Pulse rifle from Aliens, even as the countdown clock makes the sound effects, everything. (laughs) I bought it. But it's because I love Aliens. I love the gun. They did a great job with it.
0: And the price point was fantastic. It was 99 bucks. This reminds me of what ThinkGeek used to do with their April Fool's gags, where they would say like, oh, it's the Tauntaun sleeping bag. And then people would be like, that's fucking awesome. And it and it was such an interesting exercise. It was such an interesting thought experiment of when you, because they were, they had never intended to make these things, these gags. They were just gags initially. I mean, at least my understanding was that they were. So, they freed themselves of the what's possible or what are our constraints. They just lifted that off and they're like, ah, if we can make any crazy thing, what would it be? I'd be a Tauntaun sleeping bag. And then people were like, that's fucking awesome. I have one. They were, they're, they're cool. And that as a, as an approach to ideation and creation is such an interesting approach because so often we kind of go in thinking like, you know, like, what are our parameters and limitations before we even think about like what we would want to do. It's like, it's, 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 it's a, it's a, it's like flipping it upside down or rather than going, we can make anything. What is it? And then figuring out how to do it. It's, well, these are our limitations. So what can we make within those limitations? Exactly. Um, And so that is a really great, they're allowing the audience to kind of decide and also, like you said there, it's kind of a pilot program too. They're not going to lose their butts because do you, no, do you, so you have to commit to buying it? Yeah. I, okay. I gave them 99 bucks this morning and it'll show up sometime next year. I mean, that's, that's how like a lot of t-shirt sites have been running for a long time. They'll do like, Oh, you know, this art or this art, or here's a design. If If we get, you know, if we get 50 orders, then we'll make it. And if not, then we won't. I mean, it is, you see this kind of crowdsource model again and again. That's how Kickstarter works. That's how a lot of them work. If we get, if we achieve X, then we will produce Y. Um, And it's interesting to see a giant company doing it, but that sounds like, it sounds like they're using their powers for good within our world. No, they are. I mean, it's brilliant. I mean, To make good stuff. I mean, I know ultimately you still gave 100 bucks, but that's a fucking cool sounding thing.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's good for us because they're making products that otherwise, what you said with the sleeping bed, it's dead on, where it used to be, oh, this is too crazy. And now the companies are like, we got to give them crazy. We got to give them what they're not expecting. I, I'm telling you, until about three years ago, I would say to myself, at the most, once a year, I cannot believe this was made. Like, who greenlit this? I now say that conservatively twice a month. Oh yeah, yeah. You
0: mean about shows or movies and stuff? Everything, products. Like, did you see Raised by Wolves? Oh, uh, yes. The uh, yes.
1: Who 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 was like you know what we need to do? Let's spend a hundred million dollars.
0: Like I, I hate to say this, we nuts. got we got really into that show because it was Me just too. it was just so esoteric and weird and it was just and and. Yeah. And then it like the sort of the weird space religion and the, you know, yeah, we totally got
1: nothing (laughs) There was nothing normal in that show.
0: And they spent 50 million a season on it. I remember my wife and I watched, I think that might've been HBO. My wife and I watched the first episode of that. She was like, oh, let's watch this Raised by Wolves, you know, because she loves horror and sci-fi and everything. And so... And so we watched it at the end of the first episode. We were like, what did we just watch? I yeah. was like, I don't know, but let's watch the next yeah. episode. And we did. And we just, we got sucked in. We totally got sucked in. Dude, I, I, better than that. or I guess I could say
1: worse than that. I had all, the only reason I hit play was because I saw Ridley Scott's name. That's it. I yeah. knew nothing about the show. I'm sitting there at the time with my five and six year old and then As you know, 18 minutes in the the sweet, nice kind of weird robot starts cutting people in half and making their heads explode. And I'm like, pause, pause. (laughs) pause, Kids, this is not. I I don't know. I don't know. My (laughs) my daughter to this point, she's seven now. My daughter's like, remember that show you freaked out and kicked us out of the room? Like what show is that? I'm like, ask me in five years, ask me in five years. Is it
0: acceptable to say things to your kids? Like, Oh, I don't think that happened. Are you sure that that like, just to, just to try to give yourself a pass. Yes. Yeah. yes. it's absolutely- Oh, I don't know. I don't think that, I think you might've dreamed that sweetheart. I, that wasn't something daddy. Why would daddy do such a, why would he put on a killer robot show for you? I, he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't, he wouldn't do that. But I yeah, love I- that you've, I love that you've taken a lot of, uh, you know, that you, that you've kind of used comedy as a springboard to keep delving into these other areas that are also of interest to you between video games. And someday someone will make that, uh, toys and the movies. And, uh, and of course, you know, my wife and I are Disneyland fanatics. We know we have a ton of Disneyland props that we've gotten at auctions. We've, you know, um, we've, I, we, we, used to go several times a year cause you want to go see all the seasonal changes and, uh, and, and I feel like as many times as I've gone, there's still always some little thing that I missed that I was like, oh, I never saw this one little thing before, you know? And when Disney plus was gearing up, I went in and I pitched to them and I was like, I pitched them two shows. and And one of them was a show where it's like, oh, I'll take, you know. Uh, I'll take like uh, celebrities from within the Disney, Marvel, Star Wars universe, and I'll we'll find out what their favorite ride is. I'll take them on that ride, and then we'll talk about it for fifteen minutes. Um, and they were like, ah, you know, it just I guess it was just too much to coordinate with the park or whatever, so they didn't do it. I go, okay, well, the other idea, I still think it was a good idea, but the other idea was uh, I called it the Wonderful World of Disneyland, and it was just going behind the attractions, and they were like, we're already doing this, and I'm like, of course you are. Oh, I and, hate the internet. No, I'll tell you why, because I because it's your show is so great that I was just happy as a fan that it got made. You know, like I thank you. I'm not the kind of person that feels like, oh, I wish I had I'm just like, look, I pitched this because I want it to exist. So if it's going to exist, I'm glad there's a fucking great version of it that I can watch. You know what I mean? Uh, So I was I'm very, very delighted by uh, Behind the Attractions. Uh, you're, you're way too kind. Did, did, did Do you know how we sold it? Have you heard well, that? I, I saw, I saw the rocks name on there. So I thought that might've helped.
1: Well, we went in and pitched a different show. It had nothing to do with the parks or the attractions. Nothing. <laughs> we literally pitched this. You're not even gonna believe this. I swear to God. We pitched a show about breakfast cereals. It literally every episode would have been about a different cereal. I get the call from the executive, Dan, Dan's like, eh, not so crazy about the breakfast cereal thing by any chance, would you be willing to do a show about the attractions and see if you could keep Dwayne
0: attached? And I was like, let me see. (laughs) And we did. I mean, it's the, the, the lore of Imagineers, like the the sort of the gods that the Imagineers are within, you know, the, the Disney universe, uh, uh, Mark Davis and Rolly Crump and all these, uh, all these different, You know, and and Madame Leota and just all of these. And and I didn't know that Leota's daughter is also an Imagineer. That was a cool thing to find out, too. Um, Three generations. Three. I mean, you talk about... Because her daughter is an Imagineer right now. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. And you talk about... uh, um, I I can't remember who it was. One of the Imagineers was talking about the thing that we were saying earlier about they were given parameters like Walt would say, I want to, you know, I want a haunted house and that, and go. And so then they would go, okay, we know it has, these are the parameters that we have to work within." but at the same time, they still have to think outside of physics and, you know, technology. And if then, then, and then if they can't figure it out, they have to fucking invent it. Like it's yeah. insane. Yeah. I've watched so many YouTube videos about how park rides work. It's nuts.
1: Dude, we saw stuff. If, if you ever invite me over to see your amazing collection. Yes. Hint, hint. Yes, yes. Uh, I will tell you some stuff I cannot say right now. Dude, we saw stuff. We saw one thing we saw in particular. After we saw it, I was with about five other people, part of the crew. We left the warehouse where we saw it in Glendale. And we just looked at each other for about 60 seconds without talking. Like, I mean, it was literally like, ah, uh, uh, like I mean, it, it, it was unbelievable. I mean, it was oh. literally unbelievable. Two things we saw that are now public. We saw that Spider-Man robot mm-hmm. without the Spider-Man costume. Literally what you see it doing at the park. That's like one tenth of what it can do. Like, oh, wow, that thing is nuts. The other thing we saw and it was still in bonkers prototype stage. But have you seen the lightsaber they created? No. Dude, they created a quote-unquote real lightsaber. It, it starts as just a hilt, and it has, this, it has these spools inside it that almost instantly come out and oh, lights oh. up. So that was announced about a month ago. So you can see it on YouTube. So we saw that. So those two stories I just told you, Those aren't even in the top 10 of what we saw. I mean, and Disney was so good. I mean, actually shocking what they allowed us to put in the show. But we did this thing, and you should do it. You could have have Alex handle this. Um, Have you done a third shift tour? Uh, No. It goes from 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. Number one thing I've done in my life, career-wise, Lucasfilm Archive. Number two, USO tour to Iraq. Number three, third shift tour.
0: Now, I'm just getting an idea of what I think this would... You know, my wife and I went to a preview opening a couple of days before the park reopened. Um, during, you know, like just, I don't know, it's probably April, I think. Maybe April or late April or early May. I can't remember. But... Um, It was a preview opening day and I have a video of literally not one other person like walking up to Space Mountain, walking through the entire line, all the the zigzags and the snaking of all the line, not one other person. And we just both stopped and we were like, it's never going to be this not crowded again ever. (laughs) So I would imagine that the third ship tour is probably something like that. Actually, no, that's what I thought it was going to be. I'm
1: so glad you reminded me of this. So I knew I was doing it for like two or three weeks. Two or three weeks, I'm saying to everybody, I'm going to be in the park like practically alone. I'm going to be in the park by myself. Dude, there are thousands and thousands of cast members there. Two examples I'll give you. One, um, we were there in early August, like August 5th. They were doing a full costume full stack rehearsal of the thanksgiving parade
0: oh my god over holy shit of course they would over. oh that never occurred to me of yeah. course what else can they rehearse though oh my god yeah exactly
1: <laughs> so that's that alone was probably i can't believe i didn't know that oh you just blew nobody that knows that. i wouldn't know that had i not seen it with my own eyes i mean then, I was, oh, god damn it. here's the other one i'll tell you we went to one of the attractions. It was um, it was at Space Mountain. Yeah, it was Space Mountain. Space Mountain has 11 full-time employees. All they do every day, five days a week, is go to that attraction starting at 9 p.m. They don't work on any other attraction. All they do is work on Space Mountain to make sure it's safe. That's it. like that's eleven people.
0: well, that's that, that, is, all very, night that is that is that is very comforting to hear. I mean, like i love I love space mountain and you know, uh, I know that um space mountain and the Matterhorn are built on the same basic bobsled concept. and the Matterhorn, they can't really update it too much because I believe it's a historical monument. yeah, and obviously space mountain has been updated and reskinned many times, but Um, but I never knew what the inside of space mountain looked like. And maybe four years ago, the rides, we were on space mountain and it stops. And I don't know, someone, I don't know if someone like tripped and fell when they were getting out or something. And so they, I don't know what it was, but they stopped the ride and all the lights came on and I was like, holy, it was cool. But also at the same time, like, Oh, Oh, there's, Oh, there's just a ramp, you know, like it wasn't, you really, they do such a great job of making you feel like you're just free floating in space and that any minute you could get decapitated, but it is incredibly safe. Um, like when you see the, the infrastructure of the ride, it's like, Oh, this is very, very, very safe. And they really give you this incredible illusion that it's, that it's, you know, you're just whipping through space, but (laughs) that's not the case. But that park, um, you know, I've seen the dream suite. I've seen Walt's apartment. I've seen, you know, it used to be a little hidden cemetery off to the side of the haunted mansion, but I think they, they moved it or extended it or made it public or whatever. I've seen a lot of really cool stuff, but I think I would probably, my brain would melt if I was at the park at three o'clock in the morning and there was just a parade. Well, they used to do this thing where they would, for like certain, um, anniversary giveaways where they would just go up to someone in the park and go, you win. And they'd be like, what me? And they would, then that that family would just get to stay in the dream suite that night, yep. which the dream suite in uh, Disneyland is above pirates uh, where the old club 33 used to be, which moved further into new Orleans square. But, and then people would just get to stay in the dream suite. And the dream suite is fucking amazing. And all if you, I'm sure you've been in it and seen all the stuff I've been into one in Orlando and Paris, not
1: in Anaheim. Not, I couldn't even tell you why, um, but yeah, I have not been inside that one actually.
0: Psst, I feel like you probably could get in on that. If you, I mean, they don't let anyone stay in it as far as I know, but you could go see it, you know? Yeah.
1: If, um, if we get a season two uh, that that's extremely high on the list.
0: It, uh, uh, what's your favorite attraction? Indiana Jones. All right. So let's talk about Disneyland Paris. And what the fuck is going on with their Indiana Jones ride, which I am sure gave my wife and I concussions. It was super fun, but Paris, the Paris park is like stepping into an alternate universe where everything is similar, but not. So there's their Indiana Jones is a coaster. Yes. Did you have the same, like our heads banged against that, that headrest that, you know, what was your experience like on it? Uh, that's, that's let uh,
1: thank you for bringing this up. Uh, my, the, what I, I'm talking about the one in Disneyland. I am not talking to one in Disney Paris. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah. No, definitely yes. Uh, Disneyland, Disneyland, Disneyland. Indiana Jones. But you've been yeah, to the, the Paris one, one. I have. Yeah, we shot there for five days. Um, yeah, that um, that was very interesting. Uh, creative choice uh, they made. Uh, it works. I mean, obviously, it wouldn't still be there if it wasn't popular, and yeah. it's extremely popular. But I, I've never heard anybody else say the Indiana ride in Disneyland is their favorite ride. But I, I don't understand why. Like, it's mind-boggling. They spent $130 million in the mid-90s. I'm not, even Galaxy's Edge, even Rise of the Resistance, which is obviously mind-boggling. The feeling you get on that Indiana Jones when you're on the track doing that hairpin ker- kern right before you go into the tunnel where the darts come. Yeah. There is, I have never experienced anything like that in my life on any ride at any park anywhere.
0: Oh, the Indy Ride at in Disneyland is one of our favorite rides too. And it and it it is a nonstop, there's only... There, There's one part of the ride that I don't fully understand. And I always make fun of, which is, I imagine it's a Harrison Ford sound alike in the, in the ride, right? Yeah. It's not him. So you come around the corner and there's that giant snake. Now, Indiana Jones is, as we know, deathly afraid of snakes. They're his least favorite thing in the world. However, when you get to that part of the ride, all he goes is snakes. You guys are on your own. It's like, <laughs> what did, did anyone not see Raiders of the Lost Ark or any of the follow up films? Or he's but this literally is the most afraid of, it. and he's just like, it, it almost sounds like ah, with the snakes. And I and I always make fun of it because it's like, well, it doesn't seem that there's really why, why, why do they not get a different read? Was the actor just like, I just sent in one, I just did one read, and they were like, well, I guess this is why we. Like why wouldn't he be like snakes? Jesus fucking Christ! I you know, like why wouldn't? Or is it because like Indiana Jones isn't supposed to be afraid? Like what what do you think the what do you think the idea behind that is?
1: I never noticed that, but I promise you, I will never ride that again without noticing that and thinking about Every it. Every time, time we, we drive by that, out. and he goes
0: snakes. You guys are in. I go. it doesn't sound too bothered by it. Seems like it's really NBD. Like it seems like it's just not that big of a deal. It seems totally fine. But it is. I I, I find that. Um, I love the, uh, the 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 tutorial of the ride when you walk through, you know? Yes. Like, it, it, they really took their time to make it funny. Do you know about the AT&T thing when you're walking through? No, no.
1: So when the ride premiered, um, I think in either – I think in 98, may have been 97, but who cares? Um, AT&T was a massive sponsor. I mean, I think they put in, like – I think they did 10 million a year for 10 years, which pretty much paid for the ride. So when you go in, you can I I did it two weeks ago. You can still see it. When you're walking through the area, the the queue, on the walls, you'll see all these little symbols. They're kind of like hieroglyphs. They're painted in like a maroonish paint. They -hmm. mean nothing. If I didn't say it to you, you probably never notice. When the ride opened, they would hand you a decoder ring or a decoder, a decoder, like a piece of paper that translated all the symbols. So when you were stuck on the line, you were like trying to read what everything was saying. Then AT&T opted not to do it anymore. So they got rid of all the AT&T stuff, including the decoder, but the symbols are still on the walls. So you, if you want to, next time you're there, google it you can find pictures on google image of the decoder and you can read what's on the walls
0: is it anything you don't want to spoil it
1: it's, well it sets up the ride
0: so that's oh, everything fantastic. that it
1: says to you that you just quoted it's setting all that up what makes a life a good one is it the adventure you have
0: or the friends you find along the way Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day.
1: So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more.
0: But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. The amount of detail, and it, we've been to four other parks, uh, three other parks. Obviously, Walt Disney World. We've been to Paris, and we've been to Tokyo. We didn't get to go to Disney Sea, but we went to the, we went to Disneyland to, to, Tokyo Disney. Um, and from my understanding, Tokyo Disney is the one park that's not owned by Disney, but licensed by another company through Disney. Yes. Um, yes. But. It's so interesting to see, particularly with uh, the haunted mansion, that one in particular, which you cover in Behind the Attraction, the different iterations of the mansion and why the different iterations of the mansions. And we went to um, we went to Phantom Manor, which is haunted mansion in Paris in twenty nineteen, which is my and, favorite, by the way. Oh, it's of great. all the haunted manors. I mean, I think it's hard for me to Fantasy. just for just nostalgia reasons, it's hard to top the 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 original. But that effect in the opening room with the paintings and everything and the wallpaper and everything, and also tying it all to the story of uh, Big Thunder Mountain was really interesting, too. But it is a bittersweet, beautiful story. And I didn't understand until your special why you're all of a sudden in the old West town. It's like, oh, because they didn't have... They don't have the old American West in Europe, so it's intriguing to them. So they tied it to Big Thunder. And so that's why it's old West at the end. But we're such fucking nerds that um one of the cast members there asked us if we saw Walt singing at the end on the busts. And I yeah. was, you know, I went to push up my glasses. I was like, that's actually a thorough Ravenscroft. Uh, and they were like, what? And, you know, in, in French accent, what? Thor Ravenscroft, he's the voice of the, <clears throat> he does, he's the, he's the, sings the, and he was Tony the Tiger, it doesn't, you know, but that's not, I know it looks like Waltz, but it's Thor Ravenscroft. They had this thin mustache, same general build, facial build, but it's not Walt. And so I was like, you know, like my wife and I are like, oh my God, we're such assholes. Here we are correcting cast members in, at Paris, but I felt like it was an important distinction uh, to make.
1: Uh you're yes. And I'm shocked they actually didn't know that. I, I'm not even trying to be
0: funny. Like I, I'm shocked they didn't know that. I find and I I do I love all the different different parks for different reasons. But I find that there's something just a little extra special about Disneyland because it was Walt's park. That there's a <laughs> little extra loyalty and magic. And you know, I'm not saying the other parks aren't. I'm just saying for me, and maybe I'm a little biased because it's my home park. It's mine it too. Just, it just feels like there's a little extra of that magic sure. at, 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 at Disneyland, at the original park. I, I think you're
1: right. A part of it is that Walt, with his hands and brain, made it. But the other thing that I really think works for it is its tightness. I think the lack of land helps
0: make the park feel even more special that's a great i've never heard someone say that before but i i completely understand what you mean it's the thing that here's another example of
1: something i never even though i had been through it conservatively three or four dozen times i never noticed the simple genius of making fifty thousand people enter the park through a tiny little tight tunnel it, it just really, like, you don't feel like you're going into a park. You feel like you're going into a, a world or a land. Right. Because how, the to use a fancy artsy-fartsy word, the juxtaposition between the parking lot and all the infrastructure leading up to the park,
0: and then you go through that underpass, and you're literally, like, on a different planet. And much. you can feel it, too. And they're really good at that consistency. Like, with Galaxy's Edge, Um with the Black Spire outpost, they um, they really, I know that they designed it in such a way that you can't see anything other than the, being in the Star Wars world. You can't see any other part of the park. You can't see any mountain. You can't see anything else other than that. And so that's why I was kind of surprised. And I mean, I love, you know, uh, Rides of the Resistance is amazing and Smuggler's Run is fantastic. But I was a little surprised that in the line for Smuggler's Run, they didn't do all these little, it's basically just like a space garage. But even when Star Tours launched, it was like, oh, they had these like funny robots and they had 3PO and R2. And there was like, there were gags to distract. But there isn't really anything like that in in line for Smuggler's Run. Do you know if they're planning on doing that? Or was it just something that they just budgetarily just had to scrap so they could just focus on the ride? I don't know.
1: But if I had to guess, I guarantee you uh, they're working on that. By the way, going back to something you said a minute ago, I'm never. Just so you know, when you do a show like this with Disney, the line between what I can tell
0: you and what I can't tell you is gray. Oh, and so, by the way, I I don't I don't envy the position of like, oh, I've got all this information in my head, and I got to be careful about what I say and what I don't say. The, the 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 thing that's it's not like
1: stressful, stressful, but it's just I never want to say anything and piss them off, not because. I don't want Disney mad at me, but because, and don't get me wrong, I don't want Disney mad at me, but I don't want to reward their trust by saying something I shouldn't. Like Nor, they were nor so do I want them. you to do that. I
0: don't want you to have to be in that position. So,
1: I appreciate you saying that. So I'm going to tell you something without saying what it is, but I can still tell you the story. There is something at the park that cost over a quarter million dollars its sole purpose is to block the view of something else outside of the park. Mm -hmm. So the fact that this corporation built this land and is like, you know, for another $250,000, nobody will see that. And someone else is like, "That's, that's money well spent.
0: Well, because so. if they're if they're adhering to that idea of like the place has to be trans, it has to transport you, then yeah, we, yeah a- absolutely. And you know, during during quarantine, there's a uh, there, there's a an Instagram account. I think it's House of the Mouse, and it's a cast member. Sure. Yeah, and he um, posted a uh, uh, basically a supercut of just park sound effects, and I couldn't believe like how healing it was. During a time where, you know, it was like a year ago, we didn't know when anything was going to come back or we didn't know. And just hearing the all aboard the Disneyland was like, oh, God, that feels so nice. You know, um, even just hearing the different uh, the, the ride uh, instructions in English and in Spanish and like every it just it felt so it was so comforting, you know, to just know that it's like, oh, OK, I feel OK now. I was back
1: two weeks ago for the first time in about 14 or 15 months. I've never had this happen in my life. My wife and I are walking through the parking lot and something I've done a trillion times. And I see the top of space mountain, something I've seen a trillion times. I got goosebumps and started
0: like tearing up a little bit. Like it it just hit me like a ton of bricks. It happened to us too. We were both like, because we didn't know when we were going to get to go back. We didn't expect it was such a, it was such a symbol. It was really kind of the first thing we did, you know, after we got vaccinated was we had this opportunity to go. And Lydia's like, well, we, if this will be the safest time ever to go, we should go, you know, we're vaccinated. The park's not going to be full. And there was no Delta. Yeah. And so we were, we were, we got so emotional there because it just felt like, oh my God, we didn't know when we were ever going to come back here, if it was going to be this year or next year. And so it represented like folding back into the world and resuming some normalcy and also taking part in this thing that we loved. And even though we love to go with friends, it was just so special to be there, just the two of us. It was such a beautiful... You know, I mean, we are the couple that (laughs) we were in Italy and we were going to the UK in 2019. And we're like, let's just stop off in Paris just to go to Disney Paris. Like not for any other. There's a lot of stuff to do in Paris. But we were just we just went for a day so we could go to Disney (laughs) Paris. You know, we're those weirdos. So um, that's beautiful. Yeah. So it just, you know, it's just it's it's great to hear the stories behind these things that they mean as much to the people creating them. As the people, oh, you know, absolutely. as the audience, as the consumers. Uh,
1: it, it does. I mean, every, and I, not metaphorically, literally every single person we talked to, Imagineers, Yellow Shoes, every, half of them started working at the park when they were teenagers. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I, I would not half, but I would conservatively estimate 20% started off as ride ups
0: So- I'm fascinated by California Adventure because it's such an interesting pivot Yeah, that, you know, they build this, they build this other, this mirror universe, you know, across the whatever, across the plaza, you know, it's like, oh, it's all like, take a tour of California. And my guess is they quickly realize like, oh, yeah, most people don't give a shit about California. (laughs) So it's not going to mean anything to them. They don't care, you know. And then just serendipitously, oh, no, they acquire all this IP. So now it's like, now it's really kind of like the IP park, which is great because I think, I think uh, I loved the um, California Screaming coaster. However, the Incredo Coaster is a great skin for that ride. And it really did up the experience of the ride. You fucking Absolutely. smell cookies when you're going through the thing. Like it's, yeah.
1: It's a a great skin. And that's, I mean, that's a microcosm to why that company is that company. Like, they don't give up. Everybody forgets this. Between Snow White coming out and being a monster hit and Dumbo coming out, which was like, like almost an abandoned project, every movie in between bombed. Barbie, Bambi bombed. Um, Cinderella bombed. I don't think I knew that. They bombed hard.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Gumbo saved the company. Oh, my gosh. I don't think I knew that. So that's what Disney does. And it started with Walt, where Walt just he just never gave up. Everything was about efficiency. And he's like, I don't care if that movie bombed. It's a great movie. Send it out again. And then it they just kept doing that until it worked. Yeah. When you when you go to the park, do you have a, an order of rides that you do? No. Well, I, I do and I don't. I don't, but I usually defer to whoever I'm with because I've been there so many times. You know, I want it to be their path, not mine.
0: We always do pirates first because I feel like it is to me the yo-ho, Yo-Ho Pirates Life for Me song is. Immediately immersive. You're out of the sun. It's a dark ride. the The smell of it. The going by the blue bayou, like all of it. Then we do mansion second because we always try to end with you know like we'll a lot of times try to end with mansion so we get to do it twice. And (laughs) a ride we discovered that I didn't even realize was there. My wife was like, "What's back over in that corner? Is the Winnie the Pooh ride." which is a fucking amazing, like, drug trip of a ride. It's a dark ride, uh, hidden yeah. in the corner. And most people don't know about it at Disneyland America. And at, at Tokyo Disney, it's, like, the most popular ride, the Winnie the Pooh ride. And we, we couldn't even ride it because the line was hours long yeah. for Tokyo Disney, so we didn't even get to see the Winnie the Pooh ride there.
1: That's, uh, I'm not surprised to hear that. that. That, by the way, please, the next time you can... Even the minute COVID's over, in twenty thirty nine, uh, <laughs> dude, get fly to Japan,
0: go to Tokyo Sea, or Disney Sea, dude. It's, oh, I've heard it's just mind blowing. We we had to, we didn't know much about mind Disney blowing. Sea. It was our last day in in, in in Tokyo, and we're like, well, let's go to the traditional park to just see what the Mirror Universe is like, you know, like what all the yeah. So, but but mind afterwards, everyone's like, blowing. oh, you
1: should have gone to Disney Sea. Mind-blowing. And by the way, I know it's not Disney. If you have not been to the Hello Kitty Park in Japan, if if you like Winnie the Pooh, it, it's an entire park like the Winnie the Pooh ride. It is like, it, literally, I was there with the crew for Toys That Made Us, and we were like, uh, this, this got built? Like... almost every 20 minutes we would look at each other and be like, this got built. Like
0: they're doing this. (laughs) Like it dude, it was nuts. Like, I want to ask you a couple more questions because I'm literally, we've already been talking for over an hour and I could talk to you for four more hours about Disney. Same. Same. I have a question about the tower of terror episode. This is my, this is my comic con question. I have a question. was and maybe, maybe there was a reason for this, but it was the oh, omission of the Mel Brooks connection to the Tower of Terror ride. Yes, uh, yeah. Which I get asked lot, about that a lot. Yeah. So, I, I if it's something that you can't talk about, no,
1: I can tell you. It's easy. It okay. it's not verifiable. Really? Yeah. That was one of the most interesting things, by the way, about making the show. Um, a lot of the stories we grew up on like that are either not true at all whole cloth or it's Rashomon where everybody has a different point of view on it. We dug into that so deep. We talked to people on his team.
0: No one remembers anything. And even people told us it's not true. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So just for people listening who don't know, there is a story which sounds like it might be apocryphal, which is that, Disney wanted to do a deal with Mel Brooks to design a ride that was sort of like a Mel Brooks making a movie making ride. They wanted it to be funny. And, and, uh, and so they tried and tried and tried and they could never really agree on anything. And then he kind of threw, I don't know if he suggested Twilight Zone or he sort of threw out like, Oh, an elevator, have it be an elevator ride. And so that it ultimately, the idea spun off of something that he, but I could also, I mean, I, I could also ask his son, Max, if Matt, if he remembers. We, we, as far as we can
1: tell, there were meetings that discussed an attraction. We found no proof and everybody we asked had no memory of those meetings in any way, shape or form being connected to twilight zone, the show. Or what would become the Tower of Terror?
0: Oh, my God. Is this our version of the Berenstain Bears, the Bernstein Bears? Like, no, I remember it as this. No, I remember it as this. Uh, That's really fascinating. I'm so glad I asked you because that is uh, that's really good to know because it's just like how do you when you're talking about decades and decades of history at a time where people weren't cataloging everything, you know, a thousand times a day that can happen. Can, Can I tell you something
1: before I forget? I just thought of it. And I swear, dude, if I thought of this later, I would have texted Alex and said, you got to tell Hardwick this. If you want to do something really cool, like the ultimate Disney thing to do that, I guarantee you, probably in the, in the last 90 years, less than 100 people have done this. OK. Get in your car. Drive three and a half hours to a town. Have you ever been to Sequoia National Park? Uh, I
0: don't know if I've actually been. Maybe. I mean, I, I have a memory of seeing giant Sequoias. Yeah. But I That's don't know Sequoia. if that was in Sequoia. Okay.
1: Uh, it could have been up north. Where, Endor. Anyway.
0: <laughs> or the forest moon of Endor.
1: You'll get to a little town, 2,000 people, called Three Rivers. Okay. You'll drive through the town. Like I said, 2,000 people, tiny town. You'll get to a road called Mineral King. You with me yet? I'm writing
0: well? down the directions.
1: All right. So just, just Google Mineral King Three Rivers. You'll turn right, and you'll drive uphill for about 40 minutes. The road will end. Get out of your car, go to the edge, and you will see the most beautiful view ever. I mean, it's just gorgeous. The reason you should do it is Walt, before he died, was building two parks. He was building what would become Orlando, uh, become Disney World. And he was building Mineral King. Mineral King was going to be a Disney ski resort. And the reason I didn't even know this. Yes. So the reason you should do it and this do it or don't do it, obviously whatever you will be able to see what a Disney park looks like before it got made because it never got made.
0: Was there anything there? There was nothing, nothing,
1: nothing, absolutely nothing. The only thing that's apples to apples is the sign that says mineral King, but You can go online and you can, basically Roy had to decide after Walt died, am I doing Disney World or am I doing Mineral King? And he chose to do Disney World. So, but you can find the plans, just Google Mineral King Disney. You'll find what Walt wanted to do. The same guy who drew the map that became Disneyland, that map that Roy took to New York that got the deal with ABC that funded the park when they built it originally that the same guy who drew that map was that Mark Davis. It was not Mark Davis. If you said it, I would know it, but it was not Mark Davis. That guy drew the map for mineral King. So you can find it and then stand there. And you're just looking at in many ways, something kind of endorish. ish. Oh, wow. And you can see, because what it it, what it did for me was it's impossible to go to Disney Paris and be like, oh, this used to be a beat field. <laughs> like, you just can't do it. No imagination is powerful enough to actually do that, erasing the park and picturing yeah. beats. But if you go to Mineral King, you can see what Walt saw oh, and wow. Roy. And be like, that's how big, because it made me appreciate the genius of of those two guys. Of just
0: seeing all of this stuff up here. Yeah, where you'd be like, who would look at this and think a theme park could be here? Yeah. I mean, Roy probably made the right decision because, you know, they have a limited space down there in Florida for park expansion and also year round, you know? Yes, but it also would have bankrupted the company. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what, the, the mineral, the, the... If they had done both at the so same time. If they had time. done both at the same time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, maybe they'll... Yeah, I, I'm actually... I'm sure there's a reason that they probably haven't done like a ski resort thing yet. I mean, they've done cruises, they've done resort, you know, hotels in and other, other locations. Um I was thinking about something you said earlier. I've also been to the Skywalker Ranch archives and that was also one of the most insane experiences of just seeing, you know, talk, talk about like, Oh, I got to see a Muppet in front of it. It's like, Oh, you got the original, everything. These are droids. And, you know, and, uh, it took all these great pictures and they're like, Oh, you can't show this. anybody. I'm
1: like, Oh no. Wait, What what year were you there?
0: Oh, this was like 10 years ago.
1: Yeah. I was there in 08 or 07.
0: This was like 2011.
1: Dude. They let me take pictures. You, were you there after Disney bought them? Uh, no, it was before. Yeah, I was there. Dude, they let me take pictures of everything. I took
0: pictures. I just, they said, don't post any. You can't show anyone. They,
1: I, they told me I could post. It was, dude, I'm sorry if this is rambling, but I think you might find this funny. I'm, I'm
0: striking an imaginary beard right
1: now. Interesting. Maybe. I, I don't know. Dude, I have this picture of me. Well, I'll start it off at the beginning. It's usually a good place to start. I don't know if you know this. I used to be a manager and I represented Dane Cook. During the whole Dane Cook era. Okay. So he was famous for because he loved Star Wars. He was always he was famous for being a Star Wars fan. I mean, I'm not saying that's why he was famous. I'm just saying right. it was well known that he liked Star Wars. We got invited to tour the ranch. The morning of the tour, he wasn't feeling well, and he decided he didn't want to go. So I called Lucasfilm. Her name is Jackie Kenobi. I'll never forget. Swear to God, that's her real name. Amazing and uh i said to her this is one of the most beautiful things her reaction to me one of my favorite quotes of my life i go hey i just want to let you know Dane's not feeling very well right now so unfortunately i'm, I'm so sorry he, he, he can't come where yeah i'm sorry there's a beat and then she goes are you still coming i mean that's what you want to hear dude i would have bet you everything i had and everything i would have had that would have been the last thing she would have said so I go up by myself, literally just me, you know, this is like 13, 14, 15 years ago, practically. I got a private tour. I met George in the commissary online with his tray. Like, and they took me into the com into the archive. They almost weren't going to. And they were like, I didn't even ask. They were like, oh, would you like to see the archive? I'm like, dude, <laughs> I have this picture of me. No, nah, nah, I, I think to- I'm good. Of course. I'm holding Luke and Vader's lightsabers in my hands like this. You can see in my face. Like, I mean, I, 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 I was in a day, like I could not, I have a picture from that trip. It's the superstar destroyer,
0: Mm -hmm. you know,
1: held up on its mount. Yeah. In front of it is the Ark, and (laughs) leaning in the background with its head askew, like
0: was Howard the duck. Now I <laughs> I think I have a similar picture, but I don't know if Howard the Duck is in the background. But god damn it, that ties all of that together. That I think the thing that one of the things that that I was surprised blew me the way, blew me away the most was there are there's a wall that looks like you're in a hardware store and it's the it's all these shower doors. And they go, okay, you know, they they pull it out. And you realize they're fucking matte paintings, the matte paintings, the matte paintings of like the one where they're in the hangar and there's all these stormtroopers. And you look at it and they go, Well, the shower door was the perfect aspect ratio for the for cinema. It was like the right aspect ratio. So they fucking painted them on shower doors. And it looks stunning in person, but I took a picture of it, and I've never been more blown away by the artistry of the fact that it was painted yeah. to take on dimension when photographed, it looks amazing. And it looks like an amazing two dimensional picture when you're looking at it. But when you photograph it, it looks fucking three dimensional. Yeah, I've ne- I was so knocked like the wind knocked out of me of like this. I how do, how does a person know how to, this is insane. Uh, I mean, everything else, all the big ticket items, of course, blew me away, but the amount of detail and artistry in those shower door matte paintings like just melted my heart. It's funny. I
1: forgot about the shower doors, but my version of your story, the thing I'm like, oh, my God, was that the magnetic detonators they used to blow up Death Star 2 were all Dixie cups, literally just <laughs> painted Dixie cups. <laughs> I just remember being like, "No shit, <laughs> no shit, fucking Disney Plus."
0: Okay, uh, oh, that's amazing, yeah. man. I I swear I could talk to you for hours about this stuff. I it's so, it's been such an exciting, fun. Uh, is there anything else that you're working on? You know, I, behind the attraction is on Disney Plus right now. Um, more episodes, come in August 25th, more episodes coming August twenty fifth. I got to do my job. Yes, more episodes are coming August, August 25th. August
1: 25th, more episodes. Five so, more.
0: So what you can see now are Jungle Cruise Star Tours, Haunted Mansion, Tower of Terror, Space Mountain. What's coming, uh, Trains, Trams, Monorails, Hall of Presidents, Disneyland Hotel, and the Castles, which is a really cool idea because all the castles are a little bit different. And some of them are Sleeping Beauty and some of them are Cinderella and some of them are like, I think Shanghai is themed around all the princesses. So it's they're all, they all have their own... Uh, different um, identity: And don't forget hotels. We did
1: an episode only about the hotels, which was my cheat, where I basically because you could argue we should have done you know pirates, we should have done Indiana Jones, whatever, but I season learned two. With, season two. That's right. Well yeah, well that's a part of it. I learned with toys that made us. Thank God I did the Star Trek episode. Because that allowed us to still have to, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for, and Power Rangers for season three. So we took a little bit of a risk, but hopefully people like it. And Small World, that's, uh, I wouldn't say it's my favorite episode, but Small World, uh, we had some good luck with that episode.
0: You know, Small World, Small World, that earworm of a song is really, um... Degr- like it's it's hard to hear it over and over again however when you go at christmas time that ride is fucking amazing and they're singing jingle bells and they do it the way that they, they decorate it for christmas and at night it's the same like when you go to california adventure like you always want to do Radiator, you always want to do radiator springs racers at night yep, because Carsland yep, yep. is stunning at night yes and they started making it up for Halloween too, so hopefully yep. that uh, that happens this year. But um, that's the other thing is like sometimes rides just evolve throughout the year in ways that are like, oh, this ride is fine this, but at this time of year, it's mind blowing. That's right. That's absolutely right. Um, anything else? Any any other specials that you're working on? What other stuff? Let's see. Um... Toy Store
1: Near You, that's on Amazon. That just got picked up for two more seasons. Season four comes out in uh, December. Uh, I'm so bad at answering this question. Oh, we have a show coming out on History Channel in hopefully September. It might be October. Um, It's called The Center Seat 55 Years of Star Trek. It is the deepest, deepest documentary dive into Star Trek. Ever.
0: You know, they did, I think maybe I want to say it was like 10 years ago now, but they released it, might have just been the first season. Uh, and I and I own it. I don't know if it was called like Star Trek Remastered, the original series remastered or something, but they just went in and yeah. slightly decorated like just the the bridge of the enterprise, just the technology in the background, they just CG'd it up a little bit, and exterior shots of the Enterprise. It was just like a light, refreshing. Yeah. Didn't get away in the show. It wasn't, you know, Han Solo walking through Jabba's tail. Uh, you know, it. It I, I thought it was the most brilliant use of yeah. a light CG refresh that really enhanced and did not harm the integrity of the original series. That's that's the now definitive version
1: of that show. So if you go to Netflix or Amazon and watch the original series,
0: that's what will be there. That makes me happy to hear that.
1: I'll tell you this. When they announced it, I was not happy about it. And then when I saw it, I was kind of lukewarm. And then 10 years later, very randomly, I saw an episode that was the original version. Yeah. And I'm like, this is unwatchable. (laughs) The effects, like we're literally like this, this that's a garbage pail. Okay, Um so it, it was a brilliant decision they made, but it, it took me ten years to catch up with them.
0: Well, uh, again, congratulations on everything. Thank you for continuing to make great comic uh, co- content. Thank you for supporting comedy, for supporting you know comedians. Support it great, supports great, great me. Great specials, I know, but it's you know like it it's it, it's it's nice to. It's nice to know that, you know, someone's out there that knows what they're doing because comedy is so tricky because people who don't know how it works go, Oh, you just put a comedian over there. It was just like the, the, you know, like the famous Todd glass rants. It's so simple. You just got to get the audience tight together. You bring the lights down. You know, it's just like, there are a couple, there are things that you just kind of have to know the environment has to be set up, right. The audience kind of has to be on board. They have to be made comfortable and in a place. you know, so it, Comedy doesn't just happen. <laughs> it takes <laughs> no, it not. someone who knows how to produce it to make those elements work so that the comedians can shine. We do not do it alone. So I, I appreciate what you're doing and all the wonderful things that you're making. I'm so glad we got to have this chat. Uh,
1: this has been very surreal and, and truly, truly wonderful. So thank you very much. Thank you. ID 10T scanning Complete. Enjoy your burrito.